0: It's Thursday, July 18th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The saga of El Chapo, the notorious drug kingpin and leader of the Sinaloa cartel is over for now. He was just sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. Over his 30 year criminal career, he smuggled more than $12 billion worth of drugs and caused the deaths of dozens of people. Lisa G, reporter for NBC News, Radio Network, joins us for where El Chapo will be going, the Alcatraz of the Rockies. Next, Elon Musk has unveiled plans by Neuralink to connect the human brain with AI, with the goal of possibly implanting devices in paralyzed humans, allowing them to control phones or computers. The plan involves implanting flexible threads into the brain that are capable of transmitting high volumes of data. Elizabeth Lapato, deputy editor at The Verge, was there for Musk's presentation and will give us all the details. Finally, yesterday was World Emoji Day and a new crop of emoji are coming soon to an iPhone and Android near you. And they will be a lot more diverse. There will be dozens of new skin tone, gender, and couple combinations, as well as options to represent people with disabilities. And of course, a yawning smiley. Ina Fried, Chief Tech Correspondent at Axios, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in same
1: fate awaits anyone who would seek to take his place. It means that never again will Guzman pour poison over our borders, making billions while innocent lives are lost to drug violence and drug
0: addiction. Joining me now is Lisa G, reporter and anchor for WOR Radio New York and the NBC News Radio Network. Thanks for joining us, Lisa.
2: Thanks, Oscar. Thanks for having me.
0: We're going to be talking about the sentencing of El Chapo Guzman. He sent hundreds of tons of drugs to the United States from Mexico. He caused the brutal deaths of dozens of people. They say he smuggled more than $12 billion worth of drugs into the country and just throughout his 30-year criminal career. So his sentencing was today. What did we find out?
2: Well, that's interesting you said that because he's complaining, Oscar. All right. I heard that. He was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years this morning in a Brooklyn federal courtroom. He's 62 years old. He was found guilty earlier this year of trafficking illegal drugs into our country, like you said. And so he spoke before his sentencing and he told the judge that his life behind bars has been miserable. He said that he's been forced to drink unsanitary water. He's been denied access to fresh air and sunlight. He's also complained that his wife hasn't been allowed to visit him. And he hasn't been able to hug his own daughters. So that's what he's complaining about today.
0: Well, I mean, but you the, know
2: what, Oscar? Things are going
0: to get worse. Yeah, of course. I mean, the security had to be tight. He has escaped prison twice before, very famously. I think one time in the bottom of a laundry cart, the other time, which was the more outlandish one, he had people dig a tunnel under the prison right through to his cell, and he rode a motorcycle a mile to the other side to get out. So, I mean, if if he's thinking that he's not going to be under intense security. I mean, I don't know what he's trying to get in there.
2: Well, are you an action packed movie lover like I am? Oh. You know, you go and see like Spider Man, Superman, like all these, you of know. Of course. And so, anyway, the word is that they're going to be sending him to what's known as the Alcatraz of the Rockies, a real intense prison in Colorado. It's about 113 miles south of Denver, and they say it's like the maximum of maximum prisons. And so. You know, you go to the movies and you see all these, you know, helicopters and trucks and and fires and explosions. And then I just think in my mind, if he's escaped twice, I just envision this, like, super movie where, like, he pays someone off and a helicopter flies in and he escapes again. (laughs) But if you read, you know, uh, the rules of prison, I don't think it's going to happen.
0: This prison in particular houses 450 men that are deemed too dangerous to be held in less secure facilities. Every inmate is kept in solitary confinement for 22 to 23 hours a day, which is kind of what he's been going through right now in New York. So he can only expect much more of the same. Yeah,
2: and his um, attorney said today that he doesn't expect El Chapo to ever see his wife again, ever hug his eight-year-old twin daughters. There are no contact visits are allowed, even with his daughters. And it may be some time until he does head out west. I guess his attorney says they're working on his appeal and they need, you know, uh, 60 days to do that. Some of the other prisoners uh, right now um, in that prison in Denver are the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, uh, Terry Nichols from the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, the shoe bomber Richard Reed, uh, Boston Marathon bomber Zokar Tsarnev. Um, so, you know, there's some heavy-duty criminals behind bars there. You never hear from them again.
0: Right, exactly. What did we learn throughout the whole process of the trial? I think it was lasted about three months long, and we really got a, a look into the inner workings of the Sinaloa cartel. And they, I mean... They went so as far as to employ IT consultants so that they can create this phone network so they can try to talk confidentially. And at the same time, he was spying on members of his inner circle so that he can see what they were up to if they were selling him out and stuff. There's just so much that came out through the process of this trial.
2: You know, it's interesting you say that. And because of that and because it's so high tech and they got away with so much crime, that I believe once he's in this heavy security maximum of the max security prisons outside of Denver, I I believe like he's followed around all the time once he leaves the cell to wherever he has to go. I think um, they have access to religious services, educational programs, at commissary. They can watch TV in their cells, but pretty much there are special restrictions, and they have head counts at least six times a day. So they can't walk around without being escorted.
0: Tell us if you know about the legend of El Chapo, because there's songs made about him in Mexico. He had such a long career doing this, doing all these bad deeds and trafficking drugs all over the place. He's kind of a legendary figure. There's something about him, like, you know,
2: take away his name, El Chapo, okay? There's something about his personality, That is very intriguing. People want to do things for him. Does he rule by intimidation? Probably. So that's fascinating to me. I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but that in itself is fascinating because he's been running this huge network, illegal network, and people are doing things for him. Just think of your day to day job, how hard it is for some bosses to get employees to like, could you finish this work on time, please? <laughs> right, exactly. Right? And here, this is um, an illegal network of drugs and billions of money. They also say that they want him to pay back the $12 billion. Yeah, that's exactly forfeiture.
0: right. $12.6 billion in forfeiture. Uh, I'm assuming that would be through uh, various properties and, and other things that he owns that would have to be liquidated. But. Man, just to to even get that back is going to be a a huge undertaking. Lisa G., anchor and reporter for the NBC News Radio Network. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Oscar. Have a uh, great day and stay cool if you can.
3: I think unless we have some sort of brain machine interface, That can solve brain ailments of all kinds, whether it's an accident or congenital or any kind of brain-related disorder. We can solve that with a chip.
0: Joining us now is Elizabeth Lopato, Deputy Editor at The Verge. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We're going to be talking about Elon Musk's new venture, something called Neuralink, and it's a plan to connect humans with AI and computers. The goal would be to eventually see if they can implant some devices into paralyzed humans, allowing them to control phones or computers. It's interesting coming from Elon Musk, who has long said, we have to be careful with AI before they take over the humans. But he had a big event with this Neuralink company and you were there. Tell us a little bit more about it, Elizabeth.
1: For those of you who are familiar with Elon Musk and his interest in AI, he's sort of nervous that AI is going to conquer us all. And my concerns about AI are a little bit different, just to give you a sense of where I'm coming from. I'm worried that it won't be very good, and that's how it will kill us. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> However, like, the, the work he's doing here, I think, is really interesting. So for those of you who may not know, brain-machine interfaces actually are not super new. You know, the first person with a spinal cord paralysis to receive a brain implant that allowed him to control a computer cursor was named Matthew Nagel, and that paper was published in 2006. So we're looking at more than a decade of research. And what I saw last night were some meaningful refinements on technology that has already existed and that has not necessarily been combined. It was actually a lot more reality-based than I was expecting, given some of the rhetoric that he's had around AI. So it was a pleasant surprise in in that respect.
0: Yeah, I mean, he says that he wants to eventually make this as easy, safe, and painless as LASIK eye surgery. So talk a little bit about that. What exactly is the device? I know there's these flexible threads that they would implant into the brain, and that's basically what's going to help us communicate with computers.
1: Yeah. So just to give you a sense of why the threads are interesting, most of the systems that have been heavily researched in people use something called the Utah Array, which is a series of stiff needles. And I don't know if you know this, but your brain actually moves in your skull, and it's probably moving right now. It moves with your heartbeat, uh, among other things. So every time your brain moves a little, that's, that's a shift that those stiffer needles can create damage, making it hard for them to pick up signals. That's where the threads, the flexible threads, are important. But the thing about the flexible threads is that they're harder to implant than the stiffer needles because you can't just, you know, pop them into the brain as you as you might with the Utah array. So the reason the Robo surgery is used is essentially to to get the threads in.
0: You you posted um, some pictures in your article of this machine, and I mean, it looks kind of intimidating. It's got a bunch of little microscopes. It obviously has things so you can. It looks like a high tech stitching machine. And I mean, I would be so nervous to place my head underneath that thing uh, so that it can implant these little fibers. Musk said that the main reason for doing this presentation is recruiting. I mean, who wouldn't want to work on something that could potentially change the world and how people connect with computers? It It's very sci-fi, but it is also, you know, very forward thinking. There was an interesting moment during this presentation because they had a and a and Elon Musk revealed that they had a monkey who was able to control a computer with its brain. Did they elaborate on that at all?
1: No. Um, I don't think he was supposed to say that, actually. The way that people reacted. <laughs> I, think, I think, I don't know how much time you spent with scientists, But scientists are often very careful about what they're willing to reveal about experiments that they've done because if you talk about them before you submit them to a scientific journal, it's a lot harder to get an experiment published.
0: Wow, Uh, it's so crazy. So uh, just paint the final picture for us. Years down the road, this is up and working. They say that it can connect to your cell phone and work through an app. What are we looking at?
1: It's hard to say right now. I think that the sort of vision that Elon has for healthy humans is pretty far off, but I think for folks who experience paralysis, that might be a lot closer. So if you're disabled and this allows you to connect with the community, to to talk to your doctor, to be a little bit more independent, that seems really promising. And again, you know, I don't know that we're very close to having this be ready even for that population in a widespread way for
0: many many years. They said that early experiments will be done with neuroscientists at Stanford University and. They hope to have this in a human patient by the end of next year. There's going to be a lot of hurdles with the FDA and everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it sounds pretty crazy, but Elon Musk is known for these big projects and stuff. So we'll see if anything develops from this. The
1: only thing that I would add to that is it's hard to predict what the FDA is going to do. I would take that um, the goal of having it in uh, a person by next year with a little bit of a grain of salt, because it might turn out that the FDA is like, absolutely not. You need to do all of these other tests first. But it still is um, pretty exciting to see somebody pursuing it this way.
0: Elizabeth Lapato, Deputy Editor at The Verge, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
3: We're getting a lot more diversity, and and I think that's really important. So a lot more different couples will be able to represent their relationship. People with disabilities will be able to see themselves. And I think people look to this to express who they are and how they're feeling. And so when it looks more like our world, I think
0: the better. Joining us now is Ina Freed, Chief Tech Correspondent for Axios. Yesterday was World Emoji Day, and along with celebrating the emoji. Apple and I think Android were unveiling a bunch of new emojis that were coming out. A lot of these new icons are going to allow couples of all races and genders to be better represented. There's going to be people with disabilities represented in these emojis. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about what to expect.
3: So each year, the Unicode Consortium and and the emoji folks get together. Everyone proposes things and new emoji get added to what's standardly available and then Folks like Apple and Twitter and Google and Microsoft each do their own take on them, but the items themselves are set by this consortium. And this year, we're getting a lot more diversity, and, and I think that's really important. So a lot more different couples will be able to represent their relationship people with disabilities will be able to see themselves, things like wheelchairs and guide dogs as well. Um, And I think people look to this to express who they are and how they're feeling. And so when it looks more like our world, I think the better.
0: Specifically with the uh, couple's There's going to be 75 possible combinations. So there's opposite sex, there's same sex, there's a bunch of different hairstyles and colors represented there. So 75 combinations, that's that's a lot. That gives a lot of people the opportunity to help put themselves into these texts and, and, and communicate with people better.
3: Definitely. And I think this is something you don't really realize until you either talk to somebody or are underrepresented yourself. But it's, it's really powerful when the emoji that you're sending looks like you and kind of disempowering when you have to somehow limit yourself, especially when these have become a very important and popular way of of communicating for a large segment of the population.
0: Tell us a little bit about the disability-related emoji that are coming out.
3: So there's everything from different types of wheelchairs, electric wheelchairs. There's also um, prosthetic limbs. There are signs to show like hearing impairments. There are service dogs. So I think, again, it's just offering a broader vision of the world
0: the new emoji that i think everybody is gonna get into and start using a lot is this big yawning face emoji i mean it can mean so many things i'm tired i'm sleepy I, i'm bored uh, i think that's going to be one of the new big hits right there
3: definitely and as you point out not all of these emojis are about diversity some are just about helping all of us so there's everything from garlic and waffles to otters. Uh, So everyone gets something in this update.
0: Talk about how much we use emoji and how it's just kind of part of our everyday conversations now over text and emails. Even it's coming up in work.
3: So yeah, I mean, I think it was for a long time, it was most popular among a younger demographic in one-on-one chats, and it has really broadened from there. I think what it adds to digital communication is the ability to add a little emotional nuance. I mean, one of the challenges of communicating, particularly over text, is it's hard to tell tone and inflection. It's hard to have a personality. And I think emoji, when used well, can help with that. And we are seeing it move into the work context uh, we reported on this study that adobe released and they say that two-thirds of emoji users say they're more comfortable sharing emotions through emoji than a phone call and we all know that the next generation doesn't really like to talk on the phone and many of us don't like to talk on the phone but for expressing emotions that is the time that a lot of us pick up the phone call and even at work uh, the people in the survey said work communications can be more likable, more sincere, and even viewed as more credible, which surprised me when they have emoji in there. And again, I think it's it's a recognition by the sender that they're talking to another human being.
0: You're talking about this emoji trend report by Adobe Generation Z respondents. They said 83% of them prefer sending emoji to picking up the phone and talking to somebody. Uh, those are all you know people born between 1995 to 2010 or so. They also, in their report, mentioned what the top three favorite emoji are. Tell us which ones those are.
3: So, and I think this was a U.S.-centric one, where a grin, a heart, and a kiss. So mostly positive emotions, but love, happiness, and sadness were the top three emotions that users were aiming to express through emoji.
0: It just kind of bridges that gap from, as you said, when it's tough to tell tone and attitude through a text, these help a lot.
3: Definitely. And where I've noticed them, we use Slack at Axios, a lot of companies do And, you know, I've noticed it's less common in the message, but people like to react with emojis. So um, that's one of the most common ways to react in Slack and people will add their own. They'll add pictures, um, but I've noticed that is how people show support and convey empathy. and, And indeed, that's what the Adobe study found as well.
0: When can we expect to get all of these on our phones?
3: So they'll come to different apps at different times, but one of the main places that people get these is in the next versions of Android and iOS, uh, which are both due out in the coming months.
0: Ina Freed, Chief Tech Correspondent for Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Brooke Peterson and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.